0: Only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And today I'm talking to Sarah Peterson. Her essays about motherhood and feminism have appeared in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, the Washington Post, and many other places. Sarah writes the newsletter In Pursuit of Clean Countertops, which I read every week, where she explores the cult of ideal motherhood. Sarah's new book is Momfluenced, Inside the Maddening, Picture-Perfect World of Mommy Influencer Culture. Sarah lives with her family in New Hampshire. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I want to say up front that before we get started talking about momfluencers, what they are and what they do, that this book is not making fun of independent content creators making content about motherhood of which I am one and people who make money doing that of which I am one. You're not saying that it's bad to be one of those content creators and you don't sneer at the women who do those
2: things. No, 100%. I was never interested in writing some sort of like, takedown or, you know, reductive, this is good or this is bad, you know, perspective at any point. In the process.
1: And the people like that, I mean, you make the point in the book that they're editors in chief of their own media companies. Some of them are extremely successful and they are taking control of the narrative and defining motherhood as they see fit, which is powerful and wonderful and great. Totally. And then it starts to maybe get a little more complicated when they start to define motherhood for the rest of us? Is that where things start to go off track?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of ways that things can go off track, many of which have nothing to do with individuals or their choices, most of which have to do with, I think, systems and our broader cultural understandings of what motherhood entails, what a quote-unquote good mother should be and look like. And yeah, when we've chased those rabbit holes, we end up usually... (laughs) looking at patriarchy and looking at white supremacy, looking at capitalism. Uh So the bad guys in this book are not individuals in any way. It's usually a larger system created and upheld by usually white supremacist patriarchy.
1: Society. Right. Okay. So let's take a step back. How do you uh, define a momfluencer?
2: The simplest definition, I would say, is somebody who has utilized her maternal identity to monetize her social media platform. But for the purposes of the book, I sort of broadened it to look at anybody who performs motherhood online, whether we have a hundred followers or a hundred thousand followers, whether or not we're getting paid for our content creation, or whether we're just sharing with you know IRL friends and family. Because I do think, consciously or unconsciously, we are all making choices about how we want to be perceived as mothers.
1: Yeah, you say that in the book. In a way, we're all mom influencers. Every time we put a version of our lives. That is not the whole story. Because, of course, it's never the whole story. Therefore, we are all momfluencers if we have social media. Right. And there's sort of two kinds, aren't there? There's the... I want to get into all the different kinds of momfluencers. But there's the, like, don't you wish you lived in a field of poppies like I do. People, (laughs) right? Yeah. And then there's the, like, can you believe that my house looks like this kind of people. Yeah. Both of whom are valid. And both of whom are presenting versions of motherhood in which we see ourselves. But both of those are kind of stories, right? I mean, Woman in the Field of Poppies isn't there all the time. Right, right. She's there sometimes. There was an image in the, um, you wrote an article, I believe, for In Style, and there was an image of a woman bathing her, it looked like a Mary Cassatt painting of her, like bathing her baby's feet with a pitcher, like a stone pitcher of water. Yep. You interviewed the woman and she's like, no, obviously I don't do that. That's not how I bathe my child. I had to spend four hours making that picture for you. Right. And that's so interesting, right? Why do you think we spend so much time consuming these? Like, we know that's idealized. There's some large part of us that's like, that's not really how she does it. But I kind of want to think she does. Why is that?
2: Yeah, I think our cultural understandings of motherhood, particularly in the U.S., are so baked in and so entrenched. I think often we don't even consider the fact that they were created. Like our maternal ideals did not spring forth, you know, from the soil or whatever. They were created by people, usually for specific reasons. But yeah, I think, I know I certainly grew up sort of idealizing the role of motherhood, sort of viewing it as the be-all end-all of what I could do as a woman. I definitely uncritically swallowed the notion that Like I was born to be a mother and all of the skills that mothering entailed would just they were naturally within me naturally in air quotes. Right. Yeah. So I just think there's a lot of preconceived notions we have about mothers and motherhood that if we don't stop to sort of interrogate can get tricky. So what you talk about in the book. What you're interested in,
1: I think, is the intersection, the tension between what makes these content creators create these sort of utopias of motherhood or dystopias or whatever they are. Like, here's this world that you live in and our interest in getting like super overinvested in what Jasper's wearing in to kindergarten today. Like, we're definitely meeting them halfway.
2: And why is that? Is it because our real lives don't, they fall
1: short of these ideals?
2: Yeah, I mean, you bring up the two opposite ends of the spectrum, like the beautific mother in the, you know, poppy field, right? You know, there's no plastic in sight. She could be living in 1884, <laughs> for all we know, or the, you know, hot mess express mom who's, you know, showing pictures of her like, you know, cluttered pantry or whatever. I think as humans, we do gravitate towards binaries and simple narratives especially as mothers, most of us live somewhere in a shade of gray, like our lives are made up of shades of gray. And shades of gray can be exhausting, they can be challenging, they can be frustrating. And I think especially as mothers in the US, largely unsupported, you know, by systems, largely left on our own to figure it out without meaningful support in any way. I think we do crave certainty so maybe we go to the mom cleanser in the poppy field because we know she's going to be in a poppy field like right. we know what we're getting <laughs> right. and we go to the hot mess express one for the same reasons like we know exactly what we're going to get there's no doubt there's no like oh what's it going to be because i think a lot of us are living in the oh, how's today going to be oh am i going to figure it out you know sort of space
1: yeah and then there's this sort of the cringe following or the hate following that so many of us do. I mean, allegedly cringe following. I don't actually believe that this woman's kitchen looks like that all the time. I hate follow this. But of course, then I'm like watching every video she puts out. What is that about? What motivates us to sort of pretend we don't care about this stuff that we care about?
2: Yeah, I think I mean, I don't think one thing in researching the book is that sort of blew away my assumptions going in is that there is any like. You know, there's not like ten reasons we follow mom influencers. There are so many reasons that we follow mom influencers, uh-huh. completely depending on our personal backgrounds, you know, our cultures. But I do think one reason we follow them is to sort of clarify our own maternal identities. So, for example, if I am, you know, I talk about this in the book, if I'm following this trad wife mom influencer who waxes poetic about, you know, self sacrificial motherhood and living solely for her children and her husband. In a way, I'm doing that to sort of firm up my own feminist beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like I can look at her and say, I'm not like that. I'm like this. Mm -hmm. And it sort of helps me clarify who I am by comparing myself to others, even if they're strangers online.
1: That makes sense. Can you tell us a little bit more about trad wife for those who might not be familiar with that term?
2: Yeah. So I guess it boils down to adhering to traditional gender norms. So you could have a tried wife who lives on a self-sustaining farm. As in traditional wife, right? I mean, I assume that's what it's short for. Yes, yes. Traditional, traditional, short for traditional. So you could have a tried wife who lives on a farm, they grow, you know, completely self-sustaining, they never interact with modern society. Or you could have a trad wife who, you know, has all the trappings of modern life, but really prioritizes making her husband sandwiches when he gets home from work and really prioritizes her domestic work over, you know, work in the market sphere, for example. But what unifies both of these examples is... Adherence to traditional norms. So the woman or the mother is at home taking care of the kids taking care of the house and the man is out in the market sphere making money and you know, she chooses to be led by him is one of the
1: right and they live in sort of a land I mean without I'm not going to name this particular influencer, but there's one that has millions of followers, whose husband is heir to a very large fortune but they live in the middle of nowhere on a farm with a bajillion kids and they milk the cows and they make the buttermilk and, you know, and that part isn't visible. It's sort of an open secret, I
2: guess. Yeah, I think so. It's
1: like, let's not talk about that part. This is gentleman farming or lady farming, I guess, right? That You're kind of play acting this for us. Yeah. We're kind of complicit in that. And we're implicit in creating all of that with them, right? When we consume the content.
2: Yeah, I always find the comment threads really interesting, like the account you were referencing. Yes. Because most of the comments are like glowing endorsements of this person's motherhood and her maternal rightness and goodness. Like, oh my gosh, you're such a good mother. How do you do it? You're such a good mom. You're such a good mom. You're such a good mom. None of us know what kind of mom this person is. Right. None of us have any clue. But we're so trained to see signposts of good motherhood as being, as checking like certain boxes. So she's white, she's cishet, she is married, she's thin, she adheres to Western beauty standards. So we're like, okay, she's got all this, therefore equals good mother. Mm. And that, I think, if we don't check it, has, can have really harmful consequences. I think we think that, you know, it's okay, like, it's okay for us to just assume she's a good mom, like she probably is, like, you know, why is that bad? But if we assume that only one type of mother is a good mom, or, you know, like, should be praised for her motherhood, we are erasing. And yeah, we're erasing so many other types of mothers that don't adhere to all of those standards.
1: That's such a good point. Okay, let's take a break. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. I'm talking to Sarah Peterson. She is the author of Mom Fluenced. while
0: Start your Hero Bread bundle
1: on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co
0: and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's her oco and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So the idyllic past of idealized motherhood to
1: me is the little golden books we used to get in the supermarket checkout line for 59 cents. I mean, i I'm an old lady, but with the mom vacuuming and with her kids all the time, that's part of ideal motherhood, right? They're always with you and you're always so happy that they're with you and they always cooperate while they're with you while you're doing the work of motherhood. Everybody's just so happy to be together. That's, I mean, you make the point that that is... An idyllic past that didn't exist literally for anybody, but particularly not for women who had to work two jobs, who were single parents, who were this, that that past didn't exist for anybody. And and if for groups of women who are marginalized in some way, that experience is even more distant. And so when this sort of like, look at the beautiful dappled sunlight with which I bake my family's bread is presented as the ideal, then that like pushes everybody else's experiences further to the side. Is that the harm that's being done?
2: Yeah. And I think it also has sort of a numbing effect. Like, I think it tricks us into I mean, I'm thinking of like MAGA hats, like make America great again. Okay, like make motherhood great again. But like the concept of the nuclear family is so relatively new in terms of human history. Mm, Yes. For the vast majority of human history, we were living in community with extended family, with close friends and neighbors we were raising children in community that's how we've done it for the vast majority of human history so this whole like idealizing and romanticizing the nuclear family that's completely self-sustaining and insular is really a toxic because most people are not happy like that like most people get burned out if the mother is solely responsible for you know keeping up a house and raising children like she is likely going to suffer burnout. And it's a new concept. Like, it's not this thing... That has, you know, it's so new and it was only available still to very few people.
1: And you make the point that during the pandemic, these sort of, you know, fields of sunflowers sort of accounts, they were very escapist. Like the pandemic didn't exist in those worlds. And in some ways, like that was great. We were all looking for little worlds in which the pandemic didn't exist when we were all stuck at home with sick people and kids who had to be educated and everything else. But there also was some part of. Me, I suppose, that was looking at those accounts like, oh, I want to live in that world, but there's no pandemic and it's real and it exists and I must be doing something wrong that I'm not there loving it like they are.
2: Right. Yeah, I don't know. I would follow some of those accounts during the pandemic. And while sometimes I would get escapist pleasure, like, oh, she's milking a cow. That's like, it's fun to just focus on, you know, (laughs) it's just fun to focus on like a cow. Right. And I guess you don't need a mask while you're milking a cow in the middle of (laughs) nowhere. You probably don't need that. Good for you. Right. But I would also get really mad because most of the mothers during the pandemic were really not doing well. Most of us were having a tough time. Some of us were having a really, really, really tough time. And some of us were having like a marginally less tough time. But right none of us were doing great. So there was something really off-putting about a decontextualized version of motherhood that didn't exist within the constraints of the pandemic. And especially when some of those accounts would like, you know, have parties without masks, you know, pre-vaccine, it was upsetting. And you have to have a lot of privilege to pretend that current events don't exist. You have to have a ton of privilege to not be impacted by current events. Yeah. And yeah, so I was never able to fully tap into like 100% escapist pleasure. For me, it was (laughs) messier. Yeah.
1: And what about you make a really good point in the book that there's also harm to the creators sometimes I mean, they're buying into this and then they're on the hamster wheel. And I've got to make four videos by tomorrow. And it's you know, it's a stressful way to make a living. Yeah. And then there's this also so there's one group of mom fluencers that sort of perform perfect all the time. And then there's another group that sort of performs gritty and sometimes one becomes the other, right? The wheels come off yep. and they do that in public, right? Like I'm getting a divorce and I'm going to talk about it because I talk about everything. Mm-hmm. And then they have to sort of keep performing that. You call it performing sad mom drag. I'm like, wow, yeah, I understand what you mean. And what
2: happens then? Yeah, I mean, s- almost every mom influencer I spoke to for the book referenced struggling to maintain that line between public and private identity. Mm hmm. And it gets even more complicated, I think, if we're talking about like a mom influencer versus like a style influencer, because I think most moms agree that motherhood does feel or it can feel not for everyone. It can feel like a bit of self erasure at first, like you've lived your whole adult life, you know, trying to attain X, Y and Z goals, trying to find yourself, trying to like self actualize. And then you have a child and all of a sudden, yourself blurs with that new baby, and you become sort of dislocated. And so the mom influencers they're performing just their maternal identities often, when in fact, like we all have so many identities within us. And I think it can be confounding for momfluencers to if they're earning money solely based on their maternal identities, I just think that gets psychologically really tricky. And they're also at the mercy of the algorithm and all these social media companies, right. which, you know, they're changing, you know, one day reels will get the most engagement the next. So, you know, so the, so the mom influencer will get her whole strategy, you know, completely focused on reels and then they'll change it and it'll be like, no, you need two stories and then a picture or <laughs> whatever. And so I spoke to many who also said like, yeah, I can't take breaks because the algorithm will not be happy. We'll punish you. Right. 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 And I won't get as many eyeballs. And it does. I do want to sort of push back on this idea that becoming a mom influencer can allow you to have that much sought after balance because, Mm. you know, yes, you can theoretically stay home with your kids, but you're also working all the time. Right. So. Yeah, like mom fluencers need childcare, too. They are working constantly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't love the whole, you know, they've figured out this work life balance.
1: Because right, right. I don't think they have. And yeah, because their work is the home and they also have to do the home stuff, but it can't be visible in the shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a lot. All right. We're talking to Sarah Peterson, the author of MomFluenced. I want to talk about the financial spendy part of momfluencing and how it affects us all when we get back. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly and oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say...
0: Ditto. It works.
1: I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. And yes, it's perfectly normal. But if you also see your part getting a little wider,
0: join the over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding.
1: Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your
0: age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol
1: is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING.
0: Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code laughing. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code laughing.
1: optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over
0: 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with
1: Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code
0: WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch dot sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. So, Sarah, you talk
1: in the book about how momfluencers are basically today's magazine ads. You know, that my mom or even me would read magazines and see pictures of somebody living a life that looked wonderful to me. That I'd be like, Oh, I wish I could be like that person. But you give the funniest example of the J. Crew catalog and the girl in the <laughs> roll neck sweater. Like you want to be yeah. her. But you don't know her name or where she met her boyfriend. Totally. Now it's a whole other level. So explain how that takes it to a whole other level.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I was an <laughs> avid reader of J Crew catalogs. Right. <laughs> Definitely wanted to be them. <laughs> yes. Whatever, whoever they were, whatever they were doing. Totally. But I didn't have their whole story living in my subconscious. Yep. The way I do with some of the mom influencers I've been following for several years. And yes, I intellectually understand that social media. You know involves a certain layer of performance. I understand that on an intellectual level, but if you consume somebody's life for you know five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, they are living inside you in a way that the j crew model never can, regardless of whether or not we understand that it's performance and that it's just one slice, you know it's one little snapshot, it's not you know the whole picture. We still can hold ourselves up against these people these strangers and we can form these parasocial bonds with them even if we think we're you know you know I'm above that or I'm smarter than that it kind of happens without <laughs> your permission in a way and it happens without
1: the creator realizing you give an example in the book of a creator being horrified when somebody came up to her nanny and her kids in the park and said like oh I know these kids I don't even know the kids names like this is Parker and this is Emma and oh my gosh and I and I know them and the nanny was like this person acted like she knew you and this content creator was horrified by that. In that, I kind of read like, well, what did you think when you were putting your kids on the internet every day? And this, yes, you do kind of forget that the person has developed this parasocial relationship with you, but they have.
2: Right. But it is a one-sided relationship. And that can be so... It's just such a confusing modern (laughs) dilemma that (laughs) we're in. And we're all... Like, this is such a new phase. Also, this technology is so new. Like, I do really wonder you know, what we will have learned 200, 300 years from now about the impact of parasocial relationships.
1: Explain that a little more. I think we may have glossed over that a little bit. What is a parasocial relationship?
2: So it's essentially forming a bond that you typically have with people in your actual life, your friends, your neighbors, your community members, and feeling similar feelings to somebody you have never met, usually online, despite the fact that they don't know you exist, and yeah, and again, the better the storyteller is, the more you're going to develop the sense that you kind of sort of know them, even though you don't, and you probably never will.
1: And is that a bad thing? Like I'm thinking about podcast, people who listen to this podcast, the podcast that I listen to, I definitely have that invested relationship and in the people who are in my ears all the time. And I guess that's okay, as long as they're making you feel better about yourself instead of worse.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm it's definitely not a good bad thing. Okay. I think it's like the type of thing that you have to constantly be checking in with yourself about, like am I having nightmares about this person? Like <laughs> or am I like finding myself feeling badly about my parenting choices because I'm comparing them to the parenting choices I think this complete stranger is making. Right. So, yeah, I think you kind of have to check in with yourself, see how much space they're taking up. <laughs> And whether or not that energy you're investing is feeding you or depleting you. And of course, you can't forget the depth of
1: that relationship that you feel is them being used to sell you stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, if it's a monetized account, for sure. Yeah. And I really don't. It's even I don't know. I guess that's tricky because it's like they can be as honest and authentic as they're capable of being and also want to make a living from posting an ad for like sure. toothpaste. Absolutely. Like this podcast has ads, like it's okay to make a living, right? Yes. Like one doesn't cancel out the other. It's not like because a influencer makes ads, she's incapable of being honest. But it's that it's more just the awareness of like, their
1: presence is also selling us something. It's getting us to stay on Instagram. Instagram is trying to sell us to stay on Instagram. Yes. Right? And so <laughs> and so when we're consuming content, we're still on Instagram. And then I suppose, you know, at yellow sunshine mama, she might not be making money from the reel that you're going to see next. Right. But Instagram is. yeah. And this is and it's all being sold. You know, you're being sold something.
2: Yeah. And this is where I think it's also really challenging for the creators, because like they can have the purest intentions. But if they look at their metrics and see that, like, oh, when I opened up about like, you know, my marriage difficulties last week, I saw a huge rise in engagement. Like they're not bad for the next time they come up against like a life hurdle. They're not bad for thinking to themselves like, well, I mean, I'm going through this really difficult time, but I might as well share about it because at least then I'll be going through a difficult time and maybe like gaining followers so I can get better sponsorship deals and make more money. Like it's such, yeah, the cycle is so fraught.
1: Yeah. And you're forced sometimes, I'm thinking of one influencer, who I saw who was going through a a divorce, apparently, and I felt like I had to stop watching because it was a video in which like, we've been broken up for 12 hours, it's fine, we're better than ever, the kids are gonna be fine. It's like, you don't know this yet, and I know you feel the pressure to be performing this for us, but you should just log off now, right? But you're invested and you wonder like, oh, now what's gonna happen? What is she gonna say tomorrow? And so then we participate in it. I know. So what do we do about this? Do you think it's something we need to like check in ourselves? Do we log off? Do you put limits on it? How did your perception of what is good or bad about this change when you wrote this book?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's so, so individual. For me, I can only share my you know own experience and I'm just one person. <laughs> but I am pretty shocked by the difference in my well-being when I take like real social media breaks. Like when I completely log off for a week, for example... I feel markedly better, like in almost every way. I don't find myself missing anything that I might be finding on social media. Mm. You know, there's the argument, like, maybe you're missing out on news topics or, I don't know, like, zeitgeisty conversations. Sure. But you're also gaining, like, at least for me, I gain such a sense of quiet when I log off of social media. Just because there are less even though these people are not people I actually know and even though I'll probably never meet them in real life, there's less characters coming at me with <laughs> you know, like yeah. in my life and in my Yeah. And I mean I do dream about influencers I follow. They're in there. So I guess my general advice would be to, yeah, check in with yourself. And you know, I tell a story in the book about a woman who I interviewed a psychiatrist and she was telling me about one of her patients who took her kids to a blueberry patch. And, you know, one of her kids was going through like behavioral challenges at the time. And so the therapist was like, so why did you go to the blueberry patch? Like, do you love blueberry picking? Like, is this something that's like always been a part of your life? And she was like, no. And she's like, so then why did you go? And she was like, I mean, everybody's posting blueberry patch pictures on Instagram. Like, that's just (laughs) what you do if you're a good mom. And I love that story because I think we've all been there. I think we've all just felt this pressure to check whatever box based on what we're consuming via social media. And it's, yeah, it's really hard to stop and say, like, is this important to my internal values? Or do I just want a cute picture to feel as though I am a good mom or... To get external validation for my good motherhood.
1: Yes. We call that like pumpkin town parenting Oh my on this gosh. Podcast. Yes. And that's what it is. Like, do I want to be a pumpkin town? Do my kids want to be a pumpkin town? Does anybody here think it's fun? Or are we just like, we have the flannel shirts and we're going to sit on the darn pumpkins? <laughs> yeah. Because I have to. Yeah. Or the Christmas cards or whatever mm-hmm. that we're performing. Like, well, everybody else is doing it. So we have to. Yeah. Well, I wanted to close with a little bit of talking about like, what are the positives of the sort of momfluencer culture, because I've gotten a lot of good out of the some of the accounts that I follow. Same. And one of the things that you highlight is the idea that it, it can help us find meaning and beauty in motherhood and help us remember sort of better days Yeah. when we're not having those days. It can sort of remind us of why we wanted to do this in the first place.
2: Yeah. I mean... It's also an incredible equalizer in terms of democratizing whose voice is heard. I interviewed Mia O'Malley, who's a momfluencer, and she's created a network of healthcare providers who, you know, are not fatphobic and are not bringing their anti-fat bias to their. Practice, and that's a huge issue for uh, fat moms in particular being denied care. And so, yeah, so she's created this network of these providers that people can reach out to knowing they're going to have a positive healthcare experience. And this is like really huge for, say, somebody in a small town who has limited resources in terms of like geographic access she can just go on Instagram and click on a link and, you know, have like a wealth of information at her fingertips. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think social media's power to do good, like can't be ignored because yeah, it definitely unifies communities, creates communities. Yeah. Especially when it comes to motherhood, like there are so many specific things that happen in terms of, you know, one's mothering experience that often your friends won't have experienced or your family members will not have experienced. And it can be really, really life-giving to find somebody online, even if that person, you know, is a relative stranger and sort of swap stories and experiences and feel less alone. So, I, yeah, I think that is really huge and important.
1: We've been talking to Sarah Peterson, her brand new book is Momfluenced Inside the Maddening Picture Perfect World of Mommy Influencer Culture. Sarah, tell us about your newsletter and everything that you do and everywhere our listeners can find more about you.
2: Yeah. So my newsletter is called In Pursuit of Clean Countertops. Really good. Um, (laughs) Just because that's like my own, I don't know, Achilles heel in terms of (laughs) adhering to maternal perfection. But yeah, it's about momfluencer culture and it interrogates the cult of ideal motherhood. And my book, Momfluenced, of course, and you can follow me and you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Um, And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at S. Louise Peterson.
1: I will put the link to that, to the book and to subscribe to the newsletter all in the show notes for this episode. Sarah, thanks for talking to me today.
2: Thank you so much.